I wanna read uh, from Psalm 67. This is, it's only seven verses long. This is what it says. May God be gracious to us and bless us. May he make his face shine upon us so that your way may be known on the earth, your salvation among all nations. Let the people praise you, God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations rejoice and shout for joy. For you judge the peoples with fairness and lead the nations on earth. Let the peoples praise you, God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has produced its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. God will bless us and all the ends of the earth will praise him. Uh, we've, been, we've been talking about disciple making and this vision that would extend uh, to the ends of the earth, but seeing the masses uh, of unsaved people through individuals and passing on faith and discipling them and building them up so that we go out and we multiply like that last song said. And we're gonna wrap that up this morning uh, by hearing from two individuals who this is their life, mobilizing individuals to make disciples all around the world. And so I'm going to invite Harry Brown to come up. Uh, he's going to start, and then uh, about midway through, he'll introduce uh, his friend Shadonke. And so let's welcome Harry and Shadonke. Good morning, Liberty Christian. Um, if this is your first time here, then we're in the same boat. I've never been here, so afterwards we get together, compare notes. So far, I like it. Um, it's a delight to be with you here today. My wife is with us. Uh, her name is Audrey. There she is in the back. She's the one I call the love bug. Uh, we've been married 40 years, which means she has a treasure trove of crowns in heaven for all the stuff I've drug her through. But, uh, you say hi to her. We're, we're going to uh, talk this morning about disciple-making movements and what makes them happen. And uh, Shadanke and I and my wife Audrey are part of an organization called New Generations, and the name says it all. It's about a chain reaction of disciples making disciples that results in a cascade of churches planting churches. We'll give you just a little taste of how that happens. But I wanted to let you know that uh, from early this morning at Starbucks, you guys begin to speak my love language. I was there at Starbucks, you know, trying to get my eyes open and get focused, and there on the window was a poster from Liberty Christian Fellowship that said, Unleashing Women. I thought, ah, this is great, because our tagline is Unleashing Movements, and the idea of unleashing is that something is pent up and it can be released. So we're talking about releasing the people of God and the power of God. Then I come in here and I look at those slides, and it talks about making uh, followers of Jesus and I said, yes, because there's a big difference between believers and followers. For another day, but a gospel of salvation is what gets you believers. A gospel of the kingdom is what gets you followers who obey the king in everything. Then the last song is about multiplying. That's what we're going to talk about. Chain reactions kind of thing. So feeling right at home in cold Kansas. So the, uh, the verse, oh, we're in Missouri? Oh, goodness. <laughs> I, I said in cold Kansas City. <laughs> Are we still in that? Oh, no. A moment that will live in infamy. <laughs> Spoken like a Californian, right? Okay. In misery. Um, what was it again? The, the passage that we wanted to focus on is considered a Christmas passage, Isaiah 9. It starts out with, and a child will be given to us, a son. Name will be called what? Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father. 
You get down into 7 and it says something that is the implication. It says, and there will be no end to the increase of his government. That means from the starting point of the, the king arriving as a child, from that point forward, it's going to continue to increase. How does that happen? The kingdom of God continually increasing. We're going to touch on that. For us, in our experience, the last 13 years, God has poured out his favor. It's the story of his glory that we can tell you the story of how there's 1.5 plus million new followers of Jesus scattered in 56 different countries and something like 450 different people groups. It has 62,000 churches to it. And we define this movement idea, because we're in the business of disciple-making movements. A movement for us is at least 100 new churches that have multiplied to at least four generations. Right now we're tracking 117 of those. The longest one is 27 generations of churches planting churches. How does that happen? Well, we're going to give you a taste of that today. You know, when Jesus wanted to hide something from people, he shared it in a parable and then explained it to his followers later. But when he wanted to something to be completely understood, he spoke in the simple things of life, right? He talked about seeds. They go in the ground, and here's what happens. He talked about sheep, because everybody knew about those. And he talked about light. Today we're going to talk about light and darkness, because it's something we're all familiar with, something we understand. But often in things that we understand, we don't focus on elements because it's so familiar. So this morning, I'm going to give you five aspects of light that illustrate the disciple-making process. One, two, three, four, five, and you'll be able to carry them home and remember them because they're not rocket science. The first is that we understand this perfectly, but we tend to forget light and darkness are not opposite equals. Light always drives out the darkness. John chapter 1, the light came and the darkness could not overpower it. Light always wins. It's not something where there's going to be a great struggle. You turn on the light switch and the darkness goes, right? So, light and darkness, not op opposite equals. Light always wins. That's number one. Number two is, but light only wins when it's always present. Turn off that light switch and what happens? The darkness comes flooding back in. There's prin spiritual principle there. It's not one and done. It's not once forever. The light has to remain to keep the darkness at bay. So, light always wins, but must always be present. So what's number three? Number three is that one big light in the center doesn't do anything to drive out the darkness in the corners. It's not the way it works. I learned this lesson in kind of a funny place, and I need to give you the backdrop so you don't think, what's he doing with them? I learned this in Las Vegas. And the story is, my wife and I had our kids there when they were little doing a gymnastics competition, and they were hosting it in Las Vegas of all places. So the kids do their thing during the day, and at night you walk down the street, and you know it's all these lights and blinking and flashings and whatever. And over here is a hotel called the Luxor that's in the shape of an Egyptian pyramid. Maybe you've seen it. This thing is Egyptian everything. You go inside, it's all Egyptian motif, and there's a little canal. You jump in the boat and float to where you want to go around the hotel and so forth. You get in the elevator. Instead of going like that, it goes like, Neh. everything is weird as you're going. <laughs> the, the Luxor in this pyramid 
has one thing that makes it stand out from everything else. Through the peak of the pyramid, it has the world's biggest laser shining out. And that thing is so bright that if you're in Las Vegas and it's a clear night, you can see that thing in Los Angeles. That big of a light. But you don't have to look very far in Las Vegas to know that one big light in the center is not doing anything to drive the darkness spiritually or physically out of the corners in Las Vegas. And you know, Jesus came and then some, said something that all of his disciples said, it's not a really a good idea. He said, it's to your benefit I go away. No, 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 no. You know, boss, usually you get it right. Appreciate you. You know, but that particular one, that just doesn't sit well. Because, like, you know, who's going to do the fish and bread thing? And who's going to deal with those cranky Pharisees? So we think you ought to stay. And he said, no. It's to your benefit I go away. And why? Because one big light in the center was never his idea. It's a whole bunch of little lights in the corner that have the potential to drive out the darkness every place that it exists. So... Number one, light always wins. Number two, only when it's present. Number three, one big one in the center doesn't drive out the darkness in the corners. Number four, when Jesus was on the earth, he said, I am the light of the world. Then he turned it around and said, you are the light of the world. Oh, well, what does that mean? He followed up by saying, as the Father sent me, I send you. So whatever I am doing as the light of the world, you're supposed to do as the light of the world. Now, the people that heard this, you got to jump into your robes and sandals and go first century thinking here. You are the light of the world. What could they possibly understand? One of two things. The sun in the sky or some kind of a flame in your hand. A lantern, a lamp, a candle, whatever. So what does that look like to be the light of the world as a candle, a lamp? Well, it means you're a little light that God has a plan and a purpose for. Uh, this is one of those dynamics about light that all of us would say, yeah, we know, but we haven't really focused on. When this one has a flame and it passes it to this one, has this one now lost half its power? No. A flame that is shared is not diminished, it's doubled. And that is a powerful spiritual principle. Because you as the light of the world, when you share that light and that power with somebody else, it doesn't drain you, it doubles. And then what happens when they do it again? It doubles again. Everybody's seen the illustration of a dark stadium. One candle starts the process, lights one, goes on to another, goes on to another, and what happens? The entire stadium comes to light as an illustration of what it means to pass it on. When you're passing it on, you're doubling, not diminishing. So here's number five. So number four was... A flame that is shared is not diminished, it's doubled. Number five is, as soon as you light this, it has a lifespan. As soon as you start, the clock is ticking. So what does that mean? If you start passing it on here, how much opportunity do you have left? This. 
You start passing it on here, how much opportunity is left this? You start passing it on here, how much is left? The point is pretty clear. The faster you start, the more power and impact potential you will have. It's urgent that you use the opportunity that God has given you. Now, in terms of passing it on, I want to tell you a story. We're going to make up a name for somebody who is at severe risk. We'll call him Ahmed, former Muslim. He came to faith and understood what we are telling him, that the only way to complete the Great Commission, only, underline it, blinking red, is when ordinary people are multiplying disciples in their natural networks. That's it. Not rocket science. That was God's plan from the beginning. That's how the story's going to end. This guy, Ahmed, understood that. And he began to pass it on in his natural network. The Muslim radicals ambushed him with machetes, hacked him up, dumped him in the ditch for dead. God raised him up and healed him, and then he publicly forgave the perpetrators. Now, the Muslim imams had never seen forgiveness. The light was driving out the darkness. And when that happened, they said, whatever Ahmed is saying to you, you need to pay attention. And then, within 23 months, through 18 different streams of relationship, 134 people became followers of Jesus because the light drove out the darkness and somebody was willing to pass it on. That dynamic is happening over and over and over again. I told you that over 1.5 million new followers of Jesus in the last 13 years. If you do the math, take that 13 times 365, you get 4,700 and some odd days. Divide it into the number of disciples, it's 320 new followers of Jesus each and every day. That's not because we're so smart or so slick. That's because individuals look just like you, just like me. We're willing to pass it on in their natural network. So it's not about what we're doing, it's about what they are doing, and it's about what only they could do. Because only they know the people they know, I don't. And when those people pass it on again, they're getting it to people they didn't know, and so it goes. It's the nature of what we call going viral these days. When things go viral, they don't just stay in the chain of the folks who look like you. They branch out to go sideways and up and down and back into all sorts of segments that are God's plan and purpose to get His light everywhere. I'm going to finish up my part by telling you about a little kid's song that all of you, I think, are familiar with. If I started to sing, which I can't do and you don't want me to, little kid's song called This Little Light of Mine. What would be the next phrase? I'm going to let it shine, right? So what's the definition of success in the song? Shining. And all the little kids know it because that's what we taught them. Here's what you're supposed to do. Shine. Is there anything wrong with that? Nothing other than it stops way too short. Shining's good. But it's the beginning of the story, not the end of the story. So God put it in my heart to rewrite that little kid's song. And it says, this little light of mine, I'm going to pass it on. Every day, every way, all the time. I'm going to pass it through my family. I'm going to pass it in my neighborhood. I'm going to pass it through my network. Every day, every way, all the time. There's like five verses to this little kid's song. And the crescendo one says, 
This is what he asks of me. This is my priority. This is my identity. I'm going to pass it on. Now what we're talking about is a new narrative. If we teach our kids that what you're supposed to do for Jesus is shine, that's probably what they'll do. If we teach our kids that they're supposed to pass it on and we model accordingly, if we take this flame and share it with them and teach them to share it with their friends and their network as they grow and develop the capability, then that's the narrative they're going to follow. This little light of mine, I'm going to pass it on every day, every way, all the time. With that, I'm going to introduce my partner, my brother from a different mother. Uh, in case you haven't recognized, he's the black one, I'm the white one. But, uh, so we often get confused for each other. But let me introduce to you from Sierra Leone, West Africa, Shodanke Batelu Igujima Bajala Johnson. Again, I want to join my brother <laughs> to thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to, to share with you what God is doing, to tell God's story of what he is doing around the world. This is not our story. It is God's story. And as he was sharing, I come from Sierra Leone, West Africa. Um, my wife is called Santa, as in Santa Claus. <laughs> and we have seven children. And I want to thank the Lord because God called us to serve him in a very difficult place. And we have seen what the Lord has done over the years as we obediently and submissively serve him. You know, as Harry was talking about passing the light, talking about the light, and he, he was talking about what the prophet Isaiah was saying about Jesus and that his government will have no end. You know, I've come to realize and I'm know and I believe I'm convinced in my heart that the church is the hope for the world. The church is the hope for the world. It don't matter how people talk about it, how messy it is, it is the hope for the world. And with that conviction, I believe that if the church is the hope for the world, then the church needs to step out of its comfort zone and reach out to places with the light where the light has not gone. But also to take that light in places where they think the light is but yet the light is not shining and the light is not being passed on. And if we want to see the government of our father, of Jesus, remain to be the same and not come to an end, if we want to see this light pass on, there are things we need to discover. And one of the things that we need to discover, we need to discover the power of prayer and fasting. The power of prayer and fasting. You know, when you look at the scripture, it's very clear from the scripture that prayer and fasting is measured all over the Old Testament and it's in the New Testament. But we are in a place and time in our generation where the church has neglected this, where the church talk about it. But honestly, the church is not doing it the way we are supposed to do it. And I want to measure three things as we discover the power of prayer and fasting, three things that it will do for the church so that we will pass the light on and so that his government will have no end. One of the things that I have discovered, for me, when we talk about prayer, prayer is the simplest form of speech that infants can try. 
It's the simplest form of speech that infants can try. But when we talk about fasting, our understanding is that fasting is to be, is a deliberate abstinence from food for spiritual purposes. A deliberate abstinence from food for spiritual purposes. You know, and three things that we have learned in, our, in the movement, in what God is doing around the world as we pray and fast. One thing is that we realize that, that prayer and fasting unleash the power of the kingdom. It unleashed the power of the kingdom. Before Jesus started his ministry, in Matthew chapter 4, when you read from verse 1 following, and then Luke chapter 4, verse 1 following, you realize that the Bible says that he went into the wilderness. Luke say, and he was led into the wilderness. And he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. In Luke, it, it, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, when he has fasted, verse 17 says, and Jesus started to preach the kingdom of God is at hand. So Jesus did not start to declare the kingdom of God is at hand until he has gone into a place where he spent time fasting and praying. And if you read in Luke chapter 4 verse 14, you know, in chapter 1 of Luke, I mean chapter 4 verse 1, it says, and he was led full of the Holy Spirit, he was led into the wilderness. But when you read Luke chapter 4 verse 14, it says, and he was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. That after he has fasted and prayed, he was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, Jesus, everything he did was grounded in prayer. Everything he did. Jesus did not start his ministry until he has fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Jesus did not choose his disciples, but he prayed before he had to choose his disciples. The Bible says, after he has prayed for the whole of the night, he chose the 12. When Jesus wanted to perform the miracle of the bread and the fish, the Bible says he lifted it up to his father and he prayed. And as, he, as the disciples were distributing it, the miracle really happened in the distribution as they were distributing it. We also realized that it was his daily habit to pray. When you read the gospel, especially Luke, it tells you that he went out to pray. He went out to pray as it was his daily habit. So prayer and, prayer and fast was just part and parcel of his life. His disciples looked at him and they said, Master, teach us how to pray. They did not tell him, teach us the 21 principles of success. They did not ask him, teach us how, you know, how we can prosper. They said, teach us how to pray. Because they saw in his life a prayer life, a prayer pattern that was helpful to his ministry, that ignited the kingdom. And the Bible said he taught them how to pray. What is so interesting, Jesus prayed so much that his first word on the cross was prayer. Father, forgive them because they do not know what they're doing. His last word on the cross was prayer. Into your hands I commit my spirit. In John chapter 1 verse 1 following, he says that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And the word was God. He was there in the beginning. And there was nothing that was made that was all made through him. Now if Jesus is the word, why did he need to pray so much? That tells us something. It brings to our mind the importance of prayer and fasting. And if we want to see the kingdom unleash in our nation, if we want to see the kingdom unleash in our community, if we want to see the kingdom unleash in the world, we have to go back to the basic of really learning and looking at scripture, searching scripture, and seeing the power of prayer and fasting. 
You know, back home in our areas where we work, we work among Muslims. I've worked all my life among very serious, very radical Muslims. And for five, five times I have been arrested. I've come close to death many times. But God has miraculously saved me all throughout those times. And because many women were praying and fasting for me and seeking the face of God for me. And so because of that, God was able to save me. I remember one day I was arrested. And when I was arrested, they tied my hands so much that my fingers could touch the back of my neck. And my chest was protrude, protrude like that. I was in pain. And the commander that arrested me, the commander said to me, you have been talking that God, your God is a powerful God. You have been talking that your God is a great God. Because they were killing the name of God. They were doing atrocities in the name of God. And I kept on saying to them, the God that I know is a loving God. is a kind God. You cannot kill in the name of God. That God is a different God. And so when they arrested me, they reminded me, you say your God is a great God and your God can save you. Let your God come now and save you. We are going to kill you. And when we kill you, go and tell your God that I, commander, killed you. Why commander was furious looking at me. I was in pain. I bowed down my head and I said to God, God, if this is my time to die, I'm ready to die. But God, do me one more favor. Let me die with one more person for you and let it be this commander. Before I die, let him know Jesus. And in the pain, I lifted up my head and I said to commander, commander, please, before you shoot me, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to give me five minutes so I can talk to you. He said, go ahead and talk. You're already a dead man anyway. Go ahead and talk. And I said, Commander, please, before you shoot me, I want you to accept Jesus as your Lord and personal Savior. I said, because Commander, right now, if you shoot me, I'm going to make it to heaven. But if you die, Commander, you don't have a place to go. But if you shoot me right now, you accept Jesus as your Lord and personal Savior, and then you turn around and shoot me, he will still forgive you. And both of us will have a place in heaven. I said, Commander, Jesus loves you. He cares for you. And his hands are widely open, waiting to receive you. This man looked at me. He looked at me. He had a pistol in his hands, and his boys had AK-47, the Russian made gun in their hands, ready to shoot. He looked at me, and he told his boys, untie this man. Let him go. Something is wrong with his head. Something is wrong with him. <laughs> and that's how they untied me. They let me go. But a few weeks down the road, commander came looking for me in my hideout. I was afraid, but he came. He said, I want to talk to you. And we stepped out, stood under the tree, and commander said, do you know nobody has ever spoken to me the way he spoke to me that day? He said, go to bed, I don't sleep. I've been thinking about you. That's why I've been looking for you. And that's how we became friends with commander. And through the friendship, commander, I'm very contagious with Jesus inside of me. Commander got saved and I baptized him. Two of his boys, as I speak to you today, are serving the Lord. There is power... When we dedicate our lives, when the church dedicates its life, the kingdom of God is unleashed. And commander today is a living witness. He goes from place to place. When people see him and they see what God has done, they say, if God can do this to commander, then we know God can do greater things in our lives. The second thing we've realized is that prayer doesn't only ignite the kingdom of God, but pr I mean, prayer ignites the power of movements. It doesn't only um, unleash the kingdom, but it ignites the power of movement or multiplication. Jesus is concerned about multiplication. In John chapter 15, he said that you abide in me, remain in me. And if you remain in me, you will be a fruit. And he says in verse 16 that your fruits will remain. And what is a fruit? You will be a more fruit. You start from fruit, more fruit, much fruit, and everlasting fruit. Multiplication. Jesus was talking about that. That you will be a fruit. But what is the tagline? 
remain in me. Abide in me. And it's very important. If we are going to abide in the Lord, then we need to obey his gospel. We need to obey his word. And obedience is total obedience. It's not partial obedience. We can't pick some and leave some out. It has to be total obedience. And it starts from the place of prayer and fasting. Because when we do that, we will see multiplication happen. And we have seen multiplication in Muslim communities, in villages and towns. We have seen multiplication starting with one family and then to another family, then to another family. And we have seen a community where there was no Jesus option, having a Jesus option. And half of the town following Jesus. Why? Because we are intentional. As we pray and fast, we ask God for multiplication. And God multiplies. As we pray, as we fast, it ignites multiplication. But the last thing is that it unshackles the bands of wickedness. It unshackles the bands of wickedness. It is very clear as we move from place to place that, you know, when we deny as a church, we cannot deny the fact, you know, we are fighting against, we are fighting not against flesh and blood, but we are fighting against spiritual, um, spiritual hosts of wickedness. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says, reading from verse 10, that we need to put on the whole armor of God the whole armor of God, why? Because we are fighting against spiritual hosts of wickedness in higher places. It is true. We are fighting against these forces of darkness. We are fighting against these challenges, these evil forces. And they are everywhere in Africa, in Asia, in America, wherever you go, there are forces. Some of them are cultural forces. They are in, in, in the world and they are holding people back. These are the bands that are holding people, restricting people from the gospel. Not hearing the gospel. These evil forces. And we can only break through by obeying God as we spend time in praying and fasting. It is all over America. We cannot break that if we don't spend time on our knees fighting the battle, crying out to God for this nation. Because the Bible says you cannot enter into the house of a strong man except you are bound the strong man first. You bind the strong man first. Then you can freely enter into his house. Then you can plunder the strong man. How do we need to bind the strong man? In our prayer, in our, fight, our fasting. We fight the battles on our nail. We have done that from community to community. Let me give you an illustration of a community. For 50 years, there have never been any Jesus option in this community. They refused the gospel. They said they don't need Jesus. We call it the Jesus option there. And eventually what happened was that we started praying and fasting for this community. We did not only pray and fast, we sent people, foot soldiers who went in praying and fasting all around the villages. Nobody knew they were praying and fasting. We don't make it known. You know, they go under the radar. And they pray and fast. They renamed the town. This town shall be called a town of salvation. This street shall be called a street of redemption. Father, touch the heart of the men and women. Break every stronghold over this community. Let your presence come into this community. Let your power, God, move in the heart of the men and women in this community. After praying abundant prayer, God opened the door. The very people that were standing against the gospel, God was able to, to unshackle that wickedness in their heart and they became the persons of peace. They opened their homes and we started with one family, then the next family, then the next family. And today that community has 27 churches planted among this tribe. Why? We spent time in prayer and fasting and God had our cry. The God told us, if we ask anything in the name of Jesus, we ask the Father in his name, he surely, he will do it. I want to challenge the church today. If we want to see the kingdom unleashed, if we want to see multiplication ignited, if we want to see the shackles of wickedness 
to be bound. We need to go back to the elementary thing of praying and fasting. You know what? We can start small and end big. One of the things I know about the culture here, you know, I've been coming to America for some time now. I know food is very important here. <laughs> and trust me, food is important all around the world. But you know, you can start with just your breakfast. Now, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go with all my breakfast just for today. As I pray for the kingdom to be unleashed. Maybe after some weeks, you can push it. Say, I'm going to go without my breakfast and my lunch. At just one day in a week. As you continue to do that, you see that the Lord is strengthening you. And then you say, you know what? I'm going to go without my, my breakfast, my lunch, and my dinner. The Lord will give you strength. With God, all things are possible. There's nothing that he cannot do. He's the impossibility specialist. He's the only one who specializes in possibility. And so I challenge you, I challenge all of us as a church, if we want to see the kingdom unleashed, if we want to see multiplication ignited, if we want to see the wicked one bound and the spirits of God move heavily, we need to go back and begin in the place of prayer and fasting. Let's build altars in our, house, in our homes to pray and fast. Let, let's build altars in our place of work, in our businesses to pray and fast. Let's build altars in this nation, all around this nation. I want you to know, Entrust it to God, leave it with him. And he is faithful to bring what he has promised to pass. If we ask the Father in the name of Jesus, he will surely do it. And I know if we start tomorrow, if we start next week, he will surely do it. Not only for this church, but for this community. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. Lord, there are times, God, the world will ask us to pamper ourselves. We are living God in a jet set age. We are living God in an age, Father God, where there is the rat race for material possession. But Lord, we come back to you. You created us. We believe in your power. What you have done in the past, you can do it today and you can do it tomorrow because you are the God that changed it not. You are the God of Abraham. You are the God of Isaac. You are the God of Jacob. You are the God of yesterday, today, and forever. Therefore, Father, we come to you in brokenness of heart. We say, Father, let this light, let it not only shine in us, let us pass it on. Let us continue, God, to see your government, God. God, remain and spread that will have no end. Let the lights pass on in our families. Let it pass on in our place of work. Let it pass on, God, in this nation, in our cities. Let it pass on, God, in the dark places all around. Multiple lights, God, let it pass on. We position ourselves today. Use us as instrument of change. Use us as an oracle of your word. Father, we pray. We can do it in our own strength. We can do it in our knowledge. We can do it, God, in our policies, God. We can do it, Father, by, by our own life design. We can only do it with you inside of us. Father, hear our cry today. The cry of the church. Not only this church, but God, the cry of believers. God, we want to pass this light on. One generation after another generation. We want to say sustain multiplication, God in America, and all around the world. God, I have this confidence. This nation will come back to you. This nation will be saved. Touch the next generation. And God, let your name and your name alone be glorified. If anyone is sick among us today, we'll pray that you heal their bodies and their minds. If anyone is confused, we'll pray, God, that you will lead them and speak to them.
If anyone is lost, we pray today for the salvation of their soul. Thank you, Abba Father. Let us pass this light. Let us pass this light. We can't do it without you. Thank you, Lord. Use us. Make us. Shape us. Build us. Change our paradigm. We thank you, Abba Father. In Jesus' name we pray. With thanksgiving. Amen. Thank you so much, Shadonke and Harry. Just give them a round of applause. I want to, if, if over the last three or four weeks you've been kind of trying to figure out what's like my actual first kind of tangible step or hand, handle that I can grab onto in terms of disciple making, I want to invite you into prayer and fasting over the course of the next week. Don't put it off into some you know, distant time in the future. Um, but be praying and fasting. Not only, like Shadonke said, that we would see this, um, this sharing and this passing to the ends of the earth, but also what does that look like in your life? It's, it's not just uh, obedient for us to like cheer other people on in disciple making. If we're gonna be followers of Jesus, that is a call that we have, we have been given. And so who are those people in your own community that you could be investing the truth of the gospel into and looking and praying toward the unleashing of the kingdom to the ends of the earth? Amen? Amen. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.